Hi, I'm Angela East and welcome to another edition of the East Meets West podcast. This podcast is proudly focused on Western Australia, the engine room of the Australian economy. From the CEOs, company directors, brokers, entrepreneurs, and everyone in between, East Meets West is a deep dive into what makes the greatest state on earth tick. On today's episode of the East Meets West podcast, I'm chatting with Dan Thomas, Managing Director of Junior Copper and Gold Explorer Hammer Metals, which is rubbing shoulders with some of the bigwig gold producers in the highly prospective Yandel Belt in Western Australia. Prior to taking the helm at Hammer Metals, Dan was the Business Development Manager for Copper Success Story Sandfire Resources. During his time at Sandfire, Dan completed several acquisitions, investments and exploration joint ventures. Now, as head of Hammer Metals, he is overseeing the advancement of the company's WA Gold and Queensland Copper projects. In WA, Hammer Metals' Bronzewing South project is surrounded by large existing operations like Northern Star's 10 million ounce Jundee and 4 million ounce Bronzewing Gold mines, as well as projects that are very close to production like Bellevue Gold's namesake 3.1 million ounce mine. It's definitely a great neighbourhood to be in when you're trying to build a gold mine, but what's particularly interesting is the emerging lithium and nickel potential in the region. Dan joins me now. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Angel. No worries. So, Dan, about four years ago, you took on the role of Managing Director at WA-based Hammer Metals. Prior to that, you worked for, for nearly five years with WA copper producer Sandfire Resources. Why did you decide to make the switch to the junior exploration scene? Wow, I can't believe four years have passed so quickly. But the premise of the change, Angela, was, um, you know, Sandfire at the time had just completed the acquisition of Mod Resources in Botswana. Um, I absolutely um, loved the Sandfire story from, you know, junior explorer, exploration discovery through to what now is a globally significant copper miner. Um, and I used to take real pride in talking to people about that journey. And um, one of the things that I guess uh, was missing from my career was working through that discovery phase and the excitement of making a discovery. Uh, so the attraction for me was joining a junior company and trying to um, build that pathway to you know what has become a really successful company. And you know I'd love to achieve that with Hammer Metals. Um, I joined Hammer on the back of um, the two projects that you just identified, one in Western Australia and one in Queensland. Uh, it was important for me to join a company that had a really strong technical team. And whilst I'm an industrial chemist by trade, my background certainly is in geology. So running a junior exploration company as a non-geologist um, when your primary objective is to make a discovery is a bit of a bit of a novel concept, but one that um, you know I've really enjoyed taking on. And as I said, working with a really strong technical team, um, I've really enjoyed the four years and the journey that we've had so far. I'd like to think we're not far away from making that leap from explorer to developer, um, and we've certainly had some success along that journey. What are some of the key differences and challenges you noticed when shifting from a major producer to, to a junior explorer? Look, I think some of the things that the bigger companies do very well is obviously operate these mines incredibly efficiently, but with that comes a lot of process, um, comes a lot of, um, for want of a better word, bureaucracy. Um, so moving back to a junior company where it's yourself and maybe two to five employees, um, everything from a process perspective becomes a little bit simpler and a little bit easier. The The flip side of that is um, there's a lot to do with only a few hands to do it. So you find yourself um, doing anything and everything. Um, so my time at Hammer, I've spent days in the field where I've been a, a field exploration hand um, measuring and marking up core, which is well and truly um, outside of my comfort zone. 
right the way through to um, you know writing annual reports and quarterly announcements and the like. So the differences um, uh, and challenges at times um, can be daunting. Um, and I, I, I explain to anyone um, thinking about taking on a role as an MD or in a junior company, um, the way that I explain it is that um, you know the, the lows are, are pretty low and pretty challenging at times. Um, but the flip side of that is when you do have some sort of achievement or some sort of positive news flow, the, the highs are incredibly high. So I think that's the key to all of this, knowing when, when you're in one of those uh, low spots that you know the, the upside's only around the corner. And equally, um, if you're experiencing one of those highs, it's probably only a matter of moments before you're back experiencing a, another challenge or something. It's a little bit more daunting or difficult than it may be in the comfort of a, a mid-tier miner. So now I know Hammer Metals' cornerstone asset is the Kalman Copper Project in Mount Isa, but you're a West Perth-based company with projects in Western Australia as well. So what is the attraction of projects here in particular for you? It's a really interesting dynamic, Angela. When I joined the company, our focus was 100%, or let's say 95% in Western Australia and focused on our goal project here. And a very, uh, very small amount of time and effort was being spent on our Queensland projects. Uh, funnily enough, the reason that I joined the, pro- the the company was on the back of the strength of those projects in Queensland, Calma Deposit. Um, being a, a part of a copper company for five years, um, my skill sets and expertise certainly was uh, lent towards Mount Isa and the assets that were there. Um, I quickly got up to speed with the tremendous opportunities we had here in Western Australia. Um, you know, on a map, when you look at these projects and you look at the work that's being done in WA over many decades, it's easy to sit back and write off an area and, and see that there have been dozens of drill holes across a lot of areas in WA. And um, on face value, when you looked at our, uh, our bronze wing project, there has been a lot of exploration work going into that area. But uh, if you take our North Aurelia project, for instance, I think the average drilling depth um, across that portfolio was eight metres. Um, we deal predominantly with about 50 metres of cover across most of that tenement. So there's very, uh, very few parts of that tenement that have actually been effectively tested. Um, so WA, you're dealing with, it, as you as you rightly mentioned, the Andal region that's produced some 25 million ounces of gold through history. Um, when you've got the opportunity to do some effective exploration working across some of this tenure, it's a tremendous opportunity. And at the time of joining Hammer, uh, the junior investment um, thesis around gold, in particular in Western Australia, was incredibly strong. A lot of gold junior exploration companies did well through that period, and we were no exception to that. Um, and we had some really good success there in my first couple of years at, uh, at Hammer Middles. As the managing director of a junior explorer, what are your views on having a diversified portfolio, not just in terms of commodity, but also location? Uh, do you see that as an important part of Hammer Metals' strategy? I do, and I've never really thought about it in terms of location. Um, but it, if for, for the reasons that we saw through COVID, location and variety of location for a West Perth-based company, it was incredibly important to have the West Australian assets. Commodities, it's it's one of those funny ones. Many companies, if they're a gold company, stick purely gold. Similarly, base metal companies stick to base metal assets and development. Um you know, I think the opposite almost applies for the junior explorers. If you don't have a commodity or an interest in a market where investors are prepared to put new capital into companies, aren't prepared to back um, your particular commodity, 
uh, you're probably going to have to put the, the shutters up for a period of time until you get through that phase. And I think um, we see a number of gold companies with those challenges today, um, particularly ex-junior exploration companies in, in Western Australia, finding new capital and finding investor support um, through increased share prices is, is a really difficult thing to do, even with some great results. And we see some great results out of numerous companies out there um, just not gaining any traction in the market. Uh, and I think, you know, for the companies to continue to move forward, to have that diversified portfolio in terms of um, in terms of commodity, I think is a great advantage. And as we've seen, many, many gold companies in Western Australia turn their uh, attention to, to the lithium prospects within their own tenure or maybe nearby tenure. I think has been a lifeline for them. I think the other the other important aspect out of having the different commodity focus, uh, or sorry, the different jurisdiction focus, I should say, is that if things get hard or difficult in a jurisdiction, um, and as we just saw with the um, the cultural heritage laws that were being brought into Western Australia, exploration here for a lot of junior companies is going to get quite difficult. Um, funnily enough, we actually had a lithium uh, exploration program penciled in here. Um, for commencement mid this year, um, the Aboriginal cultural heritage laws came in, created a lot of uncertainty for us within our existing portfolio. It's what we were going to be able to do, how we're going to achieve that. Um, and unfortunately for Western Australia, that meant that you know our programs and our focus diverted back to Queensland. Um, we still have those lithium uh, programs to be run here in the, in the near term. But having that diversity and that ability to change as a business is I think incredibly important um, when you're struggling to see investment in a commodity or a regime um, in which you're operating. And that's a particularly important point you make about the um, the operating environment. And uh, in, in on that sort of note, in terms of um, your given your experience in not only in Australia but also North America, Asia, and Africa, what are some of the advantages to having a mining project in WA compared to other jurisdictions? I mean, I know you mentioned. You're talking about the Aboriginal heritage laws coming in that um, created uncertainty. But in terms of advantages, what what are there there? Oh, I'll be careful. I love both Queensland and Western Australia, but both systems have their advantages over the other. Um, and so for the, the difficulties around the cultural heritage that I explained in Western Australia, we're confronted with, with challenges around environmental authorities in Queensland. And as, um, as we're aware, now a lot of these, uh, a lot of the processes and systems set up around environmental compliance are um, increasing the need for additional work. Um, we've seen that impact our timeline to Queensland. Um, one of the things that I used to really enjoy doing and taking as a as a showcase um, to the many places um, that I've visited during my work career is the example of the Grusa and Sandfire and just the timeline that it took for that discovery to make into production. Uh, and it's a stunning example of what's possible in Western Australia and within the Western Australian regulatory environment to see a discovery of a valuable commodity go through to production in circa three years. And that is a stunning success. When you look at global comparisons, um, you won't find too many places achieving a timeline from exploration success through to successful operation in under seven years or dare I say 10 years in some places. So I think um, you know one of the advantages that WA system has is, is its efficiency in getting good projects up and getting them operated quickly. Um, DeGrusa was a you know 
had some tremendous attributes as a deposit that enabled that to happen so quickly. The super gene close to close to surface, the location being less than five kilometres away from the Great Northern Highway. There are a number of contributing factors, but truly the the underlying systems um, and procedures around establishing successful operations is is a dream in Western Australia. Right, so Western Australia's landmass covers a third of the country, but the north and northeast of the state largely remote. This is also where a lot of the state's mines are. What challenges does this present for miners compared to other jurisdictions? Yeah, for all of those advantages that we have in terms of you know an arid environment, uh, low population density, uh, a lot of I guess no major river systems or waterways that you know are subject to all of the additional permitting requirements seeing other jurisdictions um you know i think um the remoteness is a significant impost in terms of costs um, for companies so thinking about remote power solutions adding these locations um, we're obviously seeing tremendous leaps in terms of technology and the application of um, of different uh, power sources such as wind and solar solar panels contributing to mining operations. But for the processing of some of these ores, there's still a significant power requirement that has to be fed through gas um, or other means, potentially diesel um, power generation. And the costs of providing these solutions are prohibitively high Equally for for base metal um, deposits, the transportation of effectively still large large volumes of material back to a seaboard market, predominantly up into into Asia. Um, the costs of that supply chain, when you are so remote, potentially roads up there, there isn't a rail network, are prohibitively high. Um, so we see these these deposits in South America at 0.3 percent copper being uh, economically extracted. That same regime doesn't necessarily apply to um, the middle of Western Australia or even where uh, hammers operating in Mount Isa. The, the tolerances for or the requirement, I guess, for a much higher grade ore system is a, is a fundamental in these regions. Um, and WA, you know, has been tremendously blessed with a mineral inventory that's um, supported a number of developments in these remote locations, um, and we've seen that throughout history and we'll continue to see that moving forward. Hammer Metals Bronzewing South Project is located near several multi-million ounce gold mines, which is obviously a great location to be when you are hunting for the next big discovery. Tell us a bit about the Yandel region and the advantages to being in an established gold producing region. Yeah, I think you touched on it a little bit earlier in terms of our location and where we are. Um, we're located uh, within, I think, 100 kilometres of five major gold operating facilities. So be it uh, Bellevue, uh, the uh, Thunderbox mine, or potentially Jundee, uh, Darlow. Um, there's a number of different processing options around where we're located in the Yandel region. And I think you'll find um, similar junior exploration companies have that same, same ability to feed a number of different mills through there um, and be warmly welcomed. Uh, I think uh, the, the location in and around that infrastructure is important. Um, we're seeing just next door to our North Aurelia um, prospects there, we're seeing Northern Star develop the, the Aurelia mine. I think they're now producing ore and they're taking that down to Thunderbox. So there's a, a live demonstration of, I guess, the, the infrastructure set within that region and its ability to enable companies that are making uh, discoveries and proving up resources 
um, providing them a pathway through to commercialization of those assets. And we've seen a couple of examples of that over the past three to five years within, within the Andal region. How long until you expect to release a, a gold resource at Bronzewing South? One of the things that Hammer's blessed with is a, is a multitude of different targets in different areas. We did a, a substantial um, air core program and some RC drilling in 2000 and uh, I'm going to say 2020 up at North Aurelia and we demonstrated some really broad zones of mineralisation over about a two-kilometre stretch. Our follow-up plans there uh, have been formulated. We have a program that we could roll out and um, potentially de- delineate a small resource at the North Aurelia deposit. Target one, we've called that, uh, you know, that uniquely named um, location, Target one. Um, our view is there that, you know, I, I probably can't put out a, an exploration target or figure around it. But we, you know, we think um, broadly there that there's a meaningful amount of gold in the region of 100,000 ounces that could potentially one day be drilled into a resource. In terms of timeline, uh, our priorities at the moment are focused in Queensland, as you mentioned before. Um, We have a number of prospects there that we're looking to develop resources on. Um, So that program sits there waiting to be done. One of the beauties of that particular project is, as I said, it's located right next door to the Aurelia deposit, which is currently being mined. Um, so it is always on our radar as something we potentially do, but ultimately we feel that the returns that would be generated through that program for our shareholders isn't as good as some of the returns we'd get from some of our Queensland drilling. So that's where the focus stays. In terms of timeline, um, some, of the, some of the lithium potential around there could actually jolt us into getting a bit more work, a few more holes drilled in that region. Maybe it's something we'll have on the agenda for late this year or early next year, um, and maybe we could incorporate um, building that uh, gold resource at uh, North really into that program. Okay, so you just touched on the lithium potential there. You've identified the lithium potential about 40 kilometres from established lithium operations like Liontown Resources, hotly sought after Kathleen Valley Mine. What are you seeing that's got you intrigued there, and what are the next steps for following up that lithium potential? That uh, that prospect came out of um, some work that we did there now um, over 12 months ago. So we did a soil sampling program um, through a number of the new tenements that we picked up there in 2021. Um, and part of that program, we extended some of our soil soil work. Um, we went through the database and we had a look at the, the potential different elements there. Lithium was one of those that popped up onto our radar as being anomalous for a couple of the areas that we're looking at there. Um, we did some really early stage follow-up work. Um, the location's interesting. We're 40 kilometres away from Kathleen Valley, but we're actually on the opposite side of the granite unit. Feeds the pegmatite system at Kathleen Valley. So a very similar setting to Kathleen Valley. As far as we're aware, there hasn't been anyone that's done a lot of exploration work around that particular granite system, although I see that some of our neighbours are starting to think about doing that now. Um, we went up into the field uh, and we identified where some of the some of the geology there outcrops about two to three hundred metres away from where we've done some of our gold exploration previously. And the pegmatite systems come to surface there. We went through and we rock chipped those pegmatite systems reasonably thoroughly. Um, we got all of the geochemistry back. Um, I'm told again as a non-geologist, I'm told that the geochemistry there looks good. They're the fractionated granites. They're the right type of granites to host these pegmatite systems and as has been explained to me, effectively it's distance away from the granite unit that determines whereabouts along these systems 
the different elements get positive. Um, and there's a very, there's a it's a sweet spot. I've heard others refer to it as a Goldilocks zone where the lithiums, lithiums deposited. Um, if that was to be the case in our, our example, these pegmatite systems go back undercover, um, 50 to 70 metres of cover through there, um, and potentially where those pegmatite systems run, potentially there's some lithium down, down underneath the cover. When we have drilled there previously, we've only ever analysed um, 98% of our samples for gold. It's only the last metre of every hole that we drill that we actually do an effective geochemistry analysis on to try and help identify the rock top, the top of the bedrock. So when we had uh, gone into our database and looked um, at the geochemistry at the bottom of the hole, um, we picked up that some of the holes have had an excess of 100 ppm up to about 330 ppm lithium um, in those um, jewel chips. The other thing is that the pegmatites we picked up through the region actually run east-west um, relative to the, the main ge geological unit with Chase there, which runs north-south. So when we've been looking for the gold, we've drilled east-west holes. So in essence, we've been drilling parallel to these pegmatite bodies that um, have been identified in the region. So part of, part of the follow-up work that needs to be done there um, we need to try and identify where those pegmatite systems are um, underneath the cover and then put some drill holes into them. Um, as I mentioned, we had a program planned there for July. Um, we need to reinvigorate that program um, post our current uh, drilling um, that's going on in Queensland at the moment and hopefully look to um, do an initial test of the lithium potential in the Yandel region later this year. Okay, so you're, you're also investigating the nickel potential, a long trend from Toro Energy's dusty nickel sulfide discovery. What are the results of early exploration there? The nickel potential in that region, I think, has been, you know, certainly to the south, has been well understood, and some of the work that Toro Energy have been doing around dusty looks quite intriguing. Uh, so when we ran those soil programs, we identified some trends um, where we identified the, um, the ultramafic unit there um, running across some of our tenure. Um, elevated nickel um, in the in the soil analysis there looks quite interesting. And next steps there are to to run an EM survey over one of the prospective areas. Um, hopefully pick up um, some of these conductors that that Toro have seen, and then obviously drill them. So um, again, it's another another string to the bow of the tenure that we have in, in the WA region, and something we're keen to to push forward. But um, I think as we've probably established in this discussion, we've got a We've got a lot of potential and a lot of um, lot of opportunities in front of us, and it's about identifying those that give us the the ultimate chance of success. Um, and the, the lithium and nickel in Western Australia is certainly worth further work. Great, thanks, Dan. I appreciate your time today. Thanks, Angela. Absolute pleasure. <laughs>